0: Welcome to the Veil vale Christian Church Podcast, where we are training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Take your Bible out and turn to Mark chapter 15. Now, we just have, uh, including this Sunday, three Sundays left, three, um, three messages left to cover this last part of the Gospel of Mark. Mark is driving towards um, the resurrection, That's where he's headed, and we are so close right here. And we are, I think, at the most difficult place to examine and look at. I mean, it's just right here. It's the the most beautiful place and the most um, uh, dramatic, and the uh, the most shameful part of the whole grand story, all at the same time. In particular, this scene today that we get to look at it's disturbing to me and this is what I want you to think about when we read these 15 verses together all right Um, try not to separate yourself like oh I would never be like that I would never do that I could never act like that if this could never be me it's not true All along, that's what Mark is trying to help us understand, that we should be able to see ourselves in these scenes, in these stories, and in these characters all along. I think he's absolutely brilliant as he does this. Remember, all along, Mark is uh, teaching us these things. He's writing these things. He's presenting the story um, through the eyes and uh, his, his experiences with Peter as Peter reveals all this to him. Right, these are Peter's memories and Peter's experiences, and so uh, I, I think Mark is brilliant at communicating those things because he was so young. But I think um, I don't know. I th- I, th- I think God was so wise as He chose Mark to be this guy that communicates this with us. So He has a way, and He has an audience, and His uh, y- you have to keep in mind that 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 this is applicable to us as the audience as He reveals all these. Unbelievable things. And, and this scene, I just titled it The Great Exchange. The Great Exchange. Man, it's, it's potent. Look at chapter 15, starting in verse one. Early in the morning, after forming a plan, the chief priests with the elders and the experts in the law and the whole Sanhedrin tied Jesus up led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. So Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? He replied, you say so. And then the chief priests uh, began to accuse him repeatedly. So Pilate asked him again, have you nothing to say? See how many charges they are bringing against you? But Jesus made, made no further reply, so that Pilate was amazed. Just stop right there, just for a second. (laughs) Somebody starts falsely accusing you. Somebody starts falsely accusing me. Tell me I'm just going to sit there and take it and not say anything. (laughs) No way. No way. Somebody starts falsely accusing you. I mean, can you keep your mouth shut when you get pulled over uh, for speeding or something like that? Or a policeman pulls you over and comes up to the window. Can you keep your mouth shut like, hey? I mean, it's pretty hard, isn't it? You usually got to say something. Even if it's just sort of a throw the policeman a little bone and say, oh, how's your day going? And how are you doing, officer? You know, as if you're really concerned about how he's doing. You're just trying to butter him up so maybe you... Get a warning. Don't tell me that doesn't go through your head, right? But we, it's rare that we don't say anything. This is significant. Jesus doesn't say anything here. I mean, his words is, he chooses his words really carefully. Oh, look at verse six. Uh, During the feast, it was custom, uh, customary, uh, to release one prisoner to the people, whomever they requested. Now, this is Pilate's custom. All right, this isn't necessarily a Jewish custom. All right, a man named Barabbas was imprisoned with, uh, um, uh, a man named Barabbas was imprisoned with rebels who had committed murder during an insurrection. So he's basically a terrorist, okay? It's a really great way to describe the guy. And then the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to release a prisoner for them. As he, as was his, see how it says his, as was his custom, Pilate's custom. So Pilate asked him, do you want me to release the king of the Jews for you? For he knew that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. That's a great commentary right there. By the way, just side note here, Pilate can't take these guys, these chief priest guys. He can't take them. He does not want to please them. He doesn't want to do what they want. He never has. And that's no different right now. That's why the commentary is thrown in there right there. right. Verse 11, but the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release Barabbas instead. So Pilate spoke to them again. Then what do you want me to do with uh, the one uh, uh, you call king of the Jews? And they shouted back, crucify him. So Pilate asked him, why? What's he done wrong? but they shouted more insistently, crucify him! Because he wanted to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them, and then after he had Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. It's really a shameful scene right here. It's shameful, I think, I think you're gonna see more and more why it's shameful. Remember, I said, we ought to be able to see ourselves in the midst of all of this. It's pretty amazing um, that the origin of Pilate's customary release of a prisoner, its we don't actually know where that comes from, right? Because it's in commemoration of uh, of Passover. It's kind of weird, you know, since he's not... Uh, you know, he's, he doesn't buy in anything like that. Jews, however, this is what's brilliant about the whole thing, would be reminded of what the Passover corre- commemorates. And Pilate's not doing it for that. The release, not simply of an individual, but an entire nation, right? That's what Passover's all about. The Jews wanted God to rescue them again, not from Egypt this time, but from Rome, literally, literally, Pilate, would release a prisoner to the Jews that they requested. That's what their, you know, the customs all about. So they can ask for anybody to be released. So next, Mark introduces us to this guy, Barabbas. There's not a tremendous amount said about the guy, but he wanted freedom for his people so much that he fought against Rome, he took up arms against Rome, he killed, he murdered, he was a terrorist. So Jesus disappointed all kinds of uh, um, people by failing to lead the kind of revolution that Barabbas was willing to lead. Does that make sense? People wanted Jesus to be that kind of guy to come in and just kick some, you know, and draw swords and let's go. Let's, you know, we we gotta get rid of these guys. That's what they want. Jesus disappointed people though, that's not the way he was. So for many Jews, Barabbas was a freedom fighter. To the Romans, he's a terrorist. That's why he's in prison. So the name Barabbas means son of the father. That's a great note, son of the father. With a name like that, he is a symbol of his people. So when Israel was enslaved to Egypt, God told Moses to inform Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, Israel is my son. Israel's my son. Right out of Exodus. Israel was God's son, the son of the father. That's Barabbas' name. <laughs> Barabbas, imprisoned by Rome, personifies Israel. And Israel, you know, the church then in the New Testament, personifies Israel. Um, Israel, right? So in Barabbas, Israel can see itself as the son of the father. Israel as a whole wants to cast off the shackles of Rome. They want to get out from under this whole thing, all this oppression. On the other hand, Mark, he's identified Jesus, another Jew, as the son of God. Oh, this is thick. Jesus to Israel um, is, is Israel personified, right? So not from Israel's perspective, but from God's perspective. So you gotta pull all these perspectives together. Jesus, the son of God, is all that God wanted Israel to be. That's what he wanted. That's why Israel was chosen. That's why they were set apart. That's why they were set aside. They had a mission and a purpose and a mandate to communicate to the world just exactly who God is. And as Jesus was bound by the Sanhedrin, Barabbas literally was bound by Rome. So the crowd asked Pilate to release the prisoner of its choice as it was his custom. And up to this point, crowds in Jerusalem have responded favorably to Jesus, right? They love Jesus at this point. He's doing all kinds of, Really cool things. Has the crowd approached Pilate to ask him to release Jesus? Pilate seems to think so. So something's going on here. Look at verses nine. So Pilate asked him, do you want me to release the king of the Jews for you? He knew that the chief priest had handed him over because... Of envy, but the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release Barabbas instead. See, Pilate has interviewed Jesus by now. He's determined that um, he possessed little or no threat to Rome, to Roman rule, even if Jesus claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate could tell that he wasn't. You know, the kind to lead an insurrection. He's a smart guy. He knew what revolutionaries looked and sounded like. Someone who doesn't defend himself or spout revolutionary rhetoric. That's not Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus is a revolutionary, but not the kind that Pilate's looking for. Someone who doesn't defend himself That's not this guy. So, unlike Barabbas, Jesus, he was different. Pilate gives the crowd a choice. He knew that the chief priests were envious of Jesus, and he assumes that the crowd will choose him. He calls Jesus, the king of the Jews, to persuade the Jewish crowd to choose him. That's what Pilate wants. He does not want to give the chief priests and all these, the head deweys, he doesn't want to give them what they want, see? And he never has. So first, Pilate wants the crowd to choose Jesus because if he selects someone else, they'll probably choose someone like Barabbas, someone who posed a more overt threat to Rome. And second, Pilate wants the crowd to choose Jesus because he wanted to snub these guys. He always wants to snub these guys. Whatever the Sanhedrin wanted, Pilate wanted the opposite. The Jewish leaders, though, are one step ahead of Pilate. This is amazing. Pilate doesn't see this coming. Jewish, um, uh, they they had already put their heads together. They made a plan in uh, the house of the high priest before taking Jesus to Pilate. They infiltrated the crowd. They campaigned for Barabbas. Oh my gosh. This is where it just gets shameful. Although Jesus was popular with the crowds in Jerusalem, earlier in the week, Barabbas was the kind of leader many people preferred. Jesus was a northerner. He was an outsider, a newcomer. Oh, don't think that this can't happen. I mean, just look at how it works in Washington and in politics and stuff when you're an outsider wanting to, you know, just, just, just look at that. I don't, I don't care who you voted for or didn't vote for or what you think, man, when you're an outsider, man, it's huge, Right? What do the people want? We love the outsider. So we get sick of the the garbage, right? The politics as usual. So Jesus was a northerner, he's an outsider, a newcomer. Members of the Sanhedrin probably used the blasphemy charge against Jesus and reminded the crowd that he spoke against the temple, right? Because he claimed to be God, claimed to be Messiah. He claimed to be the Christ. And that claim comes off as ridiculous now that Jesus is in chains. So Jesus doesn't fit the job description. Barabbas, in fact, was a much better fit. Jesus has not only fallen from favor, he now poses a threat to national aspirations. The crowd makes a choice. Barabbas, give us Barabbas. So pilate got himself outmaneuvered right here. He already positioned Jesus as a, prisoner so he can't release him without losing faith. Apparently he still holds out hope that the crowd's going to change its mind and choose Jesus. So he approaches the question from a different angle. He asks the crowd what do you want me to do with the one you call king of the Jews? You know he's your guy. If the crowd calls Jesus it's king surely the crowd must want it's king. That's what he thinks anyway. Anyway The crowd demands that Pilate crucify Jesus. Mark, just as he doesn't explicitly say how the Jewish leaders managed to persuade the crowd to choose Barabbas, he doesn't say exactly how they did that. You can just imagine, though, can't you? Fake news (laughs) kind of thing, right? (laughs) Right? Sent out a whole bunch of tweets, campaign through email, send out a bunch of stories that are not, you know, just kind of ramp it up. I mean, that's what's going on here, right? So, Mark doesn't explicitly say why the crowd demanded the crucifixion of Jesus. Pilate wants to know the reason, though. Why? Why? Why, you know, what has he done wrong? And so the members of the crowd don't answer Pilate's question. They can't answer the question, or at least they can't answer it if they want to stay in Pilate's good, you know, graces, right? They want Jesus crucified, not for the evil that he's done, but for the evil he hasn't done. (laughs) He hasn't taken up a sword against Rome. He's claimed to be the Christ, but he, but he hasn't endorsed, a, endorsed nationalist ambitions. The crowd can't tell Pilate, we want you to crucify him because he won't take up a sword against you. They can't say that. Pilate hoped to win over the crowd by calling Jesus the king of the Jews. Instead, he incites it, right? Because Jesus is a disappointment as the king of the Jews. crowd wants a winner. Jesus, from its perspective, is a loser. How would you feel if someone, in an effort to integrate himself to you, referred to someone else who undermines everything you stand for as your king, the king you want? Ah, we do this all the time. You might at least raise your voice so the crowd shouted, and then shouted more for Pilate to crucify Jesus. In contrast, Jesus is silent before Pilate, deafening silence. So again, Pilate he gets himself outmaneuvered. He plays right into the hands of the Jewish leaders who worked the crowd to perfection. So Pilate, he, 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 he can't keep events from spinning out of control. Jesus, or at least the uproar caused by his arrest, has become a threat to Pilate. Now, everybody's I mean, is getting crazy. So, wishing to avoid the riot, he pushes justice aside and he satisfies the crowd. He releases Barabbas and orders the flogging and crucifixion of Jesus. It's just checkmate. The Sanhedrin wins. That is, if you call the crucifixion of the Son of God winning, but they get what they want. Barabbas, the murderer, son of the Father, he goes free. Jesus, the innocent, the son of God, he goes to the cross. And Jesus takes the place of Barabbas, the great exchange. He takes the place of Israel, the great exchange. He takes the place of all of us so that we might fulfill our destiny as sons and daughters of the father, the great exchange. Where is God? I mean, maybe you're here today and you're hearing this story and you're like, wow, this is crazy. Why, why didn't God do something? You know, it's the same way of saying, you know, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Where is he in this? He's, he's like silent. What is he doing? God the father is just like non-existent. Why does he allow, allow his son to be treated like this? I mean, God could have thumped them all right there. He's doing something much deeper. He's doing something that doesn't make any sense to anybody at the, in real time, right here. Much larger, much better than anyone could have imagined. And so again, we hear from Isaiah, Isaiah 53. You wanna turn there? Just put your finger in Mark 15. Turn to Isaiah 53. You gotta look at this. Uh, a lot of these places, um, uh, the prophet Isaiah, he speaks of how this is gonna unfold 600 plus years before it ever gets here. He talks about how this is gonna happen because this is God's plan all along. Should disturb you. Just reading it like this. Look at Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. He says, But he lifted up our illness. He carried our pain, even though we thought he was being punished, attacked by God. It seemed that's what it seemed like, and afflicted for something he had he had done. Verse 5. He was wounded because of our rebellious deeds, crushed because of our sins. He endured punishment that made us well. Because of his wounds, we've been healed. All of us had wandered off like sheep. Each of us has strayed off his own path, but the Lord caused the sin of all of us to attack him. So this is a great struggle for power and freedom happening. In Mark's gospel, as he lays this all out, the Sanhedrin and then Pilate and the crowds all decide against Jesus. How does this happen, the Sanhedrin, Pilate, and the crowd? So they all are implicated in the death of Jesus, but as you connect, and and this is where you should start connecting right here, when you connect with the narrative and the story and the way Mark puts this together, you should see something of yourselves in the leaders, you should see something of yourself in Pilate, and you should see something uh, of yourself in the crowd, that's what makes it so shameful. I can see myself in all three. To Pilate, Jesus was an inconvenience. Has the mission that God has given you and me and the church, is it inconvenient sometimes? <laughs> what do you want you to do and be? Is it inconvenient? I, I, listen, I know it is. Absolutely. It's totally inconvenient. It's like, man, this is, I wish it wasn't like this. This is like upside down. It's backwards. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, look what I'm going to have to do. It's really inconvenient. But in the end, Jesus also threatened even Pilate's more secure hold on power, right? Jesus threatened Pilate as well. To the crowd, Jesus was an option. So, so Jesus was inconvenient to the Sanhedrin. He was a menace, or, or, or um, excuse me, he was a menace to the Sanhedrin. He was inconvenient to Pilate. And to the crowd, to the crowd, oh my gosh, to the crowd, he was an option. It's was just an option. How many times is Jesus and who he wants us to be and what he wants us to do in our, regarding our mission and our mandate and all that he's laid out for us? Is it inconvenient? Or is it a menacing thing that's messing with my plan? Or an option? So often I feel like we treat church and our mission and and who God wants us to be as like an option, like a vacuum, you know, you like, like on our vacuum at home, it's awesome. And there's lots of different attachments that I can put on that vacuum depending on what I need it to do. I can just choose my options. Right? And that's the way I think we treat Jesus sometimes. Like he's just an option. So... As long as you, uh, as, as we can project our dreams of liberation onto him, then we're fine. As long as we get what we want and are all the freedoms we want, right? As long as it fits, I'll volunteer if it fits in to my schedule. See, that's, that's, that's why I don't like calling it volunteerism, right? I just, just you know, I got rights, But when you surrender yourself to Jesus, you give up all your rights and you become a servant. Not a volunteer. such a bad word, actually, when I think about it. I'm gonna start ridding that from us. Don't use the word volunteer or I'll I'll correct you. Oh man, I'm getting all preachy here, but um, make no mistake, Jesus threatens our hold on power. That's what it all comes down to. We all love power. Whether it is fragile like the leaders or more secure like Pilate, and anyone who threatens our hold on power, our fierce determination to control our own lives, it's either a menace, and inconvenience, and depending on how severe we perceive the threat to be, right, we either want to cast off the shackles in the manner of the, like the Sanhedrin or... or <clears throat> Laugh them off in the manner of Pilate. Whether you manipulate the crowd like the leaders or satisfy the crowd like Pilate, you're trying to stay in control. That's us, that's how you gotta see yourself. That's how I gotta see myself. Whether you abuse justice like the Sanhedrin or you push justice aside like Pilate, you're trying to stay in control. And when you try to stay in control, when you push away the Lord and like the crowd, all of us have thought of Jesus simply as an option, at times, we, 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 we've chosen either for, for Him when it seemed to endorse our dreams, it lines up, or against Him when it fails to endorse our dreams. So amazingly, God gives us a choice, and in the end, we don't choose the Son of God, who from our perspective sits on His hands. That's what it feels like. It's like God's sitting on His hands, not doing anything, He's just letting this happen. But someone like Barabbas, a man of action who promises to improve our position. And there's a guy who's going to get something done. We choose a man or a woman who we think will meet our needs better than Jesus. Or a way, or a way of thinking, right? The leaders and Pilate struggle for power. The crowd's dreams of freedom, you know, that's what they're struggling for, we want freedom! It's an old story. It goes back not just to Mark 15, but to Genesis chapter three. In the very beginning, the first humans struggled with God for power. They dreamed of freedom. They reached for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It was was a power grab for the fruit of freedom. And their story gets played out in every generation, including ours. As men and women fight, whether consciously or not, to cast off God's shackles. He shackles us. And when our freedom from God, and do what we want. So the old story is the human story. It's our story. Why did Jesus die? Why did he die? From one angle, he died because of the the Sanhedrin, because Pilate, because the crowds wanted him dead. From another angle, if we see ourselves in the Sanhedrin, if you see yourself in Pilate, if you see yourself in the crowd, he died because we wanted him dead. We wanted the son of God dead so that we could stay in control so that we could be free to do as we choose. I didn't want him dead. I didn't want him dead, no. Oh, this is a great quote by Eugene Peterson. Read this. It's a little hard to understand. He says, post-Eden, Adams and Eves are willing to pay their respects to God, but they don't want him invading their turf. hmm <laughs> Lots of people are willing to pay their respects to God. But as soon as you get personal and you start talking about money and you start talking about this and it's my time, you know? And if it fit, you know, as soon as you, you know, we don't like it. We don't like it. Likewise, many of us pay our respects, right? And in reality, because God has invaded our turf, we sent his son to the cross. So so we're free, but not really, right? If you think about it, our hold on life is pretty shaky, isn't it? Talk to somebody who's battling cancer. Feels pretty shaky. My neighbor, I love my neighbor, and he's battling hard, and I've been praying with him, and he's like talking to a completely different guy right now. He's just been battling cancer. Whenever I say, hey, can I pray with you? He's like, yeah, absolutely. Before... He's like, you're weird. But now he's like, yeah, I was hoping you'd say that, right? We're free, but not really. Pretty much anything and everything we value can slip through our fingers at any moment. Sure, we're free to do what we want, but the more we do what we want, the more we become enslaved to do what we want, the less we enjoy doing what we want. And the more... And the more doing what we want, destroys us. <laughs> oh, I'd like to play a whole lot more golf. Right, what would you like to do? i just like to, oh, I'd like to be free to do that. But you know what? I've talked to people that just play golf every single day and, and I'm like, man, that would be terrible if that's all I did. It sounds way better than it is. It's just like, come on. So much more to life than that. In our power struggle, in our lust for freedom, we unwittingly trade our loving God for a hostile tyrant sin, which rewards us for our service with death. Sin made us its prisoner and sentenced us to death. So personal control and personal freedom imprisons us. We go free, though, we go free because, you ready? We are Barabbas. Like Barabbas, we are sons or daughters of the Father created in his image, uh, God's representative on earth. Barabbas was a rebel, and so are we. And and instead of delighting in God and and in his delight of us, We turned away from him, we gave our lives to sin, we became prisoners of sin. Sin distorts humanity, it mangles us, it twists us. And if you want a visual image of what sin does to us, picture a man hanging on a cross. That's what it does. And by the time the cross gets through with you, you're barely human, that's us. Sinful, rebels, mangled and twisted. That's what we choose, that's what we deserved. They flogged Jesus, they ripped his flesh to pieces, they handed him over to be crucified. The son of God lays down his life for us, the sons and daughters of God. He intervenes for us, he takes our place. We go free, truly free, deeply free to be human, free to serve God. Amazingly though, our sin was responsible for the death of Jesus. We benefit from the death of Jesus and the stunning response of God to our sin, which sent his son to the cross, is to liberate us from our sin. We're guilty no more. Romans 8, 1 and 2, they, uh, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the living spirit, in, uh, for the law of the life-giving spirit in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. And Paul teaches us, here's the guy who writes 60% of the New Testament. He tells us how to live in freedom in Romans. Faith in Christ unites us with Christ and transfers us from the world of sin to the kingdom of God. It's a great exchange. We're no longer servants of sin, but we're servants of God, the sovereign God of the universe. So Paul says, offer yourself up to your new master, God who is so powerful and yet so caring that we can, by the Holy Spirit, cry out to him the way Jesus cried out to him in Gethsemane, Abba, Father. So as a free man or a woman, offer yourself up to the heavenly Father. Why did Jesus die? He died because I am the Sanhedrin. Why did Jesus die? He died because I am Pilate. Why did he die? Because I'm the crowd. Thank God though, that I am also Barabbas. That's unbelievable that Jesus takes my place and I go free. make you think different about the guy Barabbas he was a terrorist he was a murderer in Mark's gospel Barabbas never says a word kind of like it kind of like it that way in the other gospels also he doesn't get to say anything he's silent as it should be There's no record of any interaction between Barabbas and Jesus. Have you caught that yet? The New Testament doesn't tell us what becomes of Barabbas. So if you and I are Barabbas, then the mystery of Barabbas means this. You ready? You get to decide. What will you do with Jesus? What will you say with him? Um, What will you say to him? How will you live now that he's won your freedom? So I don't care where you are in your journey, with Christ Jesus, wherever you are, doesn't matter. Remember, the way of the Lord stretches out forever. And when you begin to recognize that you're Barabbas and surrender your life to Jesus, and let him do all that amazing work, you are just at the beginning of all the possibilities that God has in mind. It's a deep story. It's a moving piece of scripture, isn't it? It's crazy. Thank God that we are Barabbas. Will you bow your head with me? Thank you, Lord, for just these moments together we can get a good stare in the face of exactly who we are and what you do for us and how dramatic it is. So, stir us to our core as we keep journeying through this story. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.